Hi, welcome to Nutrition Counseling Unscripted, podcast number two. This is Carol Townsend, pronouns she, her, and I'm coming to you from the traditional lands of Fort William First Nation. As always, I'm here with... Kath Morley, pronouns she and they, and I am here in Mi'kma'ki, the traditional lands of the Mi'kmaq, which is today known as Nova Scotia. Carol, today we're going to talk about how did it come to be that being professional meant being emotionless? Yes, I was thinking about that when you were sharing last week, Kath, about the work that you had started out doing in the cancer. So if we think about the idea of where this idea came from, about being professional and yet being emotionless, I really start to think about our profession of how we developed as dietitians and where we came from. Knowing that dietitians really were working in a very male-dominated medical model field and really wanted to have some credibility. So I wonder what your thoughts are about that, Kathy. Yeah, Carol, back, uh, let's see, what is it now, Uh, 2021. So let's call it 100 years when dietetics first emerged as a specialty within home economics. But even before that, in home economics uh, was an area uh, for and by, an area of study, I mean, for and by women, cis women, with the view to improving the health of Canadians or wherever people were around the world with a pretty, I don't want to say heavy-handed, but kind of a heavy-handed view of we will tell you what to do and then go ahead and do it. I know home economics is much more nuanced and fabulous than that, but there has been a dominant theme throughout that we have expert knowledge we will share that with you you will go away and do exactly what I told you to do per the compliance conversation we had in podcast one and um, and then all will be well you know so it was kind of a comfortable expert what's the word expertish expert expert <laughs> expert dominated view that people could only be consulting with a dietitian because they were desperate for that knowledge and it was a it was has traditionally been the domain of cis women heterosexual women and of course that's all changing has was probably was never true actually but um, we're recognizing that more now in this uh, era and the powers that are well I don't want to say the powers but the male dominance within health and human services of uh, with physicians at the top of the heap so in order to have credence to be considered uh what's a better word than credence um legit Uh, it's not good either but you know (laughs) um we had to go ahead i was gonna say no that whole idea that we would be taken as being knowledgeable and being you know good at what we actually do in in that piece if we weren't emotional yes yes then there's the history of misogyny and um masculism and the unworthiness of women that has plagued uh, women for centuries, if not millennia, Um, but not always in the world. We know of cultures where that was not the case that this is just, it's what we've inherited. So that was the origins, I think for dietitians of um, if I am emotionless and I go about my job in a almost like a robotic fashion. Oh, I even hate to say that, but um, 
you know, uh, not bringing emotion into it, that I will be a better dietitian. I will actually be doing my job. And of course, that doesn't work. And I love when you talk about the difference between the theory of what we're doing and the reality of what we encounter in workplaces. So could you speak a bit about that, Carol? Yeah, I, I really, when, when I think about it, when we do go into work, our work that we do as dietitians is extremely hard. It's extremely emotional. We work with people who are very vulnerable. I always have to quote one of my uh, colleagues, Tracy Palicki, who, who would say to me, it's like, nobody ever wakes up in the morning and says, my life is going perfect. I want to make changes. So when people come to see us dietitians, it's because something's not going well. Mm. So, you know, you think about it, that we know that when they first walk in and meet with us, that they're going to be in a state of emotion. And we need to be to recognize that and know that their emotion can actually impact us. I think well, not can Carol does. It does it does yeah it does exactly. And I remember being in my training that I'm not supposed to respond to that. And how for myself there was such dissonance. I was sitting in with a client who is very emotional, and me going in my head going, "Yeah, but I got to tell you about what you need to eat." And it really did not fit well with me. Yeah, it feels so, um, like, I don't want to say imbalanced. That's not right. It just feels so wrong, right? As you say, there's dissonance. There's There's not comfort there. Because I would think in any other environment, I would not have acted like that. No, if that were your friend. Exactly. You would respond, right? Yeah. Or that person wouldn't be your friend anymore, I suppose. But there we have a poor, you know, person who came seeking advice and counsel and, you know, they're trapped in a room. (laughs) You know, you don't want to be trapped in a room with a a robot. No, no. And I mean, well, and again, you and I both started out before the internet days. Yes, we did. people, People didn't really get a choice. If they, if they were seeking help with nutrition, they actually need to seek out an actual person. An actual person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I dare say, even with online um, counseling work, you are indeed talking with a person, yeah. you know. So there's a whole lot of harm in a whole lot of ways, I think, that can come from this distancing oneself from one's emotions. At the same time, what we've talked about is there's oversharing. There's making the, the, the counseling conversation about oneself, uh, which is absolutely not appropriate either uh and you you introduced me to this pretty wonderful book that's called it's not about us which is by an author named todd leader and they're and and todd focused on uh, transforming mental health and addiction systems in canada but as i read this book i see there's an awful lot of parallels you can we could take out mental health and put in dietetics or nutrition counseling and uh, be reminded constantly that it's not about us. These sessions are not about us. So could you say a bit more about that from your dietitian slash social worker perspective, which is just fabulous that you have the dual credential. Yeah, and I, I really love that idea that it's not about me because initially I used to think it was about me when I would come, from, come into a session from an expert role, thinking that I knew I would talk to somebody for a few minutes and I knew exactly what was wrong and I knew what you needed from me. But being able to take a, take a step back and recognize that, no, I'm not the expert, that I really need to hear what it is that, that, you, that you're looking for. And then 
how do I create a relationship with somebody? Because that, at the end of the day, is going to be the most valuable thing that I could have with a person who is seeking some assistance for whatever reason they walked into, into my office. So Carol, do you, I mean, I, I 100% agree with you. That's what we're doing here is um, talking about these very complex situations that don't tend to get talked about in dietetics education and, and uh, practicum preparation and so on. Or if they are being talked about, gosh, we'd love to know about that because uh, that's how we go about making uh, this these kinds of changes that will support uh, the people who come seeking our services in in the future. I've often heard it said the expert model can be damaging because the focus is too much on the professional person and not enough on the person seeking it, their service, right? I don't even want to say help or advice because that presupposes that's what they're looking for. But as you say, no one wakes up someday and one day and says, oh, my life is perfect. I think I'll go talk to a dietitian today. It just doesn't happen that way. For no, no matter what area that we're working in as dietitians, be that eating disorders or serious illness like cancer or neuro, neurodegenerative diseases, surgical trauma care you know all of these things are incredibly emotional and so building that relationship with people you know I, oh I started to say I've, I've heard it uh, mentioned as people are the experts on their own lives and I agree with that but that almost seems a bit trite of course what that means is that and I've drawn a little picture that I've shown you before that when a person mentions a something that they want to talk with you about as a dietitian Behind that is a whole world of things that they've been experiencing. And in order to start the conversation with a dietitian, they might say something that I, I've called jump to a nutrient. I put that in quotation, in air quotes, jump to a nutrient. People will ask about well, you've mentioned before vitamin D, or they might ask ask about magnesium, or they might ask about, you know, how much vitamin C is in an orange. And that's not because they actually want to know that. It's because that's how they've been able to frame the confusion that they're living with in a way that, oh, maybe if I paid attention to, you know, I've heard vitamin C fights colds and helps with repairing tissues and because we all took home ec and, or maybe we didn't all take home ec, but people have heard those messages before. It's getting to be, you know, wintertime cold and flu season, although because of COVID, we don't have those very much anymore. But the, the connection between that and vitamin C is pretty well established, right? So it would make sense that people would come and say, what about vitamin C and pose that as their question. Well, that's jumping to a nutrient. And that's not and our job is to invoke our skills, bring forth our skills to say to ourselves, it's really not about that without saying, that's not really why you're here, because uh, that's not helpful either. But to just know that there's something behind that and 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 be be the, as you say, building a relationship to try to uncover what does that mean for them. I like that idea of coming in from it being very curious. Why would you come oh, to me today to ask me about vitamin C? Oh, I like that. What what do you think what do you think vitamin C would do for you? Yeah. And just being taking the curious stance and that unknowing stance, which I think creates that space, creates that relationship for people to be like, oh, hmm. yeah, I don't, I'm not sure why I'm asking about that. Or, you know, this is what I'm thinking and showing that respect yeah. of there's a reason why you're bringing this to me. Yeah. 
And there's a reason why you're coming to see me to ask me what foods have vitamin C in it versus just looking it up on the internet. Oh, for sure. People could look. Okay. First of all, I have to say while Carol's talking, I'm nodding vigorously. Uh, Carol's, Carol's in Thunder Bay and I'm um, on the Bay of Fundy in Nova Scotia. So we're on Zoom and I'm nodding vigorously so she can see me nod. Um, and we're nodding and smiling at each other to encourage us to talk. Uh, just as that's an important skill for any of us to have. Yeah. So why why this? Why now? That That approach, right, that you've taught me. Like why this issue and why now? are these arise as this arisen for this person, right? That's really helpful. So, so that's really kind of like the package you're opening, right, Carol? I want to learn about vitamin C. So what is it about vitamin C? I use the phrase often, help me understand what you're thinking right? to get into that. And then what would we call it? Like our sense of professional judgment or maybe not even professional judgment, our sense of being a human and a sense of judgment about, does this sound, you know, I'm, I'm also thinking about if you meet a perfect stranger, you know, at a party or, you know, at a dinner or something like that, um, you engage in a conversation and there's an ability we have as humans to gauge whether that person, person is truth telling. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> is is um, what they're saying and their body language and the nature of them as a whole person that we're observing, everything has to fit into a package otherwise you go something's not right here yeah and I think that's a skill that sometimes as dietitians we were not taught Hmm. to actually question what we're seeing what we're hearing what we're seeing and catching those mismatches to identify that maybe maybe what I'm or the road that I'm taking them down is not the road they want to go down yeah or maybe not taking them down but directing them toward yeah exactly yeah also, Carol, what I often, what I always do is pay really close attention to body, body movement, facial expressions, and so on. Because one of the things I often, well, I do it all the time, actually, is, is go back and revisit the whole section, the whole session, right? To say, I noticed when we were talking about vitamin C, you had a really furrowed brow, or you kind of made a funny dismissive gesture or something like that. So help me understand what the furrowed brow was about or the dismissive gesture was about, because that helps us, uh, like I'm going to go back to this metaphor of opening a package, right? It helps us unwrap it a little bit more to try to get to the, you know, what's the, what's the sparkly, shiny, wonderful thing in the box, right? Like what's really going on here uh, for that person? Yeah. It's definitely so important to be, be paying attention to that because people are very complex. Oh, really? And oh, yeah, shockeroo, <laughs> shockeroo. But I think we tend to forget that because we want to package them yeah. into you're just here to talk to me about your food or about nutrition. Yeah. And forgetting that, yeah, there's there's so much going on in their lives, and this is just one little piece. Yes. Yes. And. Yeah. I'm looking at that little package of how does that fit into what it is that they are really seeking or what is it that they really, why they really they came in to begin with. Yeah. So why this? Why now? Like why today? Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean because I booked this appointment six weeks ago and this is when I got in. There's a reason, <laughs> there's a catalyst for that person to want to even arrange the appointment. So trying to get at that. 
Uh, and also, quite frankly, it's very difficult when it's six weeks later or longer, depending on the wait list, for that person to recall what was on their mind six weeks ago, because six weeks of life has happened in the in the interim. Well, you know, Carol, because this is the work that you do every single day. Yeah, so trying to get at why this, why now. Um, I keep repeating that because you taught that to me and I think it's so simple and so elegant and something I wish I had known at the get-go when I became a dietitian and was let loose on the world. Um, I didn't know anything about this, not a darn thing. And it was only through making really horrible mistakes over the course of my career that I've learned um, what not to do, really. That's our biggest teacher, right? We, we recognize, you know, reflecting back, right. you know, reflect a practice of things that we did wrong. And so I do want to do a shout out if there's any, any people that I've worked with in the past. When I first started out as a dietitian, I know I didn't do a very good job. No, I did a crummy job. Yeah. But I am improving. Getting there. You Getting there. I mean, I think you've made some really fabulous points that I obviously agree with that's why we're here and that's why we're friends even though funnily enough we've never actually met in person we ask people well, well why this why now yeah I love when clients come to me and tell me because my doctor told me to come oh dear so that's super important and super interesting to talk about so is it okay if we go that way in our conversation because we are talking yeah. about to to take emotion out of nutrition counseling but and we talked about how that's not possible to do for ourselves as dietitians it's not possible to do that but let's if that's okay we'll talk about people who um who come and say i'm i'm here because my doctor told me to come my physician yeah. told me to come yeah. or my nurse practitioner or my whomever my loved one my loved one, my social worker, my whatever, right? Whatever. Yeah, that's such an important thing to think about. It's and and of course I like to say and you've heard me say before because people are dutiful and especially because the power and privilege that other health professionals, especially physicians hold, that they don't want to tick off their physician. They want to be seen as I'm not trying to thwart my therapy here, whatever my therapeutic plan is. I'm trying to be a good person and come along. But they themselves were not the person who had the idea in the first place, right? So so I've often phrased that, Carol, uh, with people to say, and yet you, you don't know why you're here and you came anyway. So that means something. Tell me what that, you know, help me understand. Back to my help me understand phrase. I use it all the time. Help me understand how is it that you brought yourself here today and then see where it goes exactly I, I like that because it gives the person that permission to to not know why they're there because I think sometimes people come and they have that idea that I need to know what it is that I need from from a dietitian you know why why am I here because I don't want to be wasting their time and if I come to a session and I don't know why I'm coming well, I'm just wasting. I'm just wasting your time. There's people who are sicker than I am. There's other people you need to see, but giving people that space and that opportunity to really explore for them. It's like, okay, so your doc your doctor wanted you to come. What was your doctor's concerns? Yeah. So okay. So to you. Gosh, there's so many ways we could go here. So one of the ways I want to go for just a short time because it's not why we're here is when a <laughs> physician has decided that person needs to change their body weight, usually down. Right, lose weight, the magic cure all of all time uh, to adjust their to change their to lose weight. I also even just say the words 
and you know, and I know that that's not really helpful for anybody. And in fact, the stress of that hanging over folks makes their life even more stressful. <laughs> so it's compounding this issue. But what really troubles me, Carol, is when a physician makes that referral and they haven't told the person that's why they're referring them. That's not acceptable. Absolutely not acceptable. So, so again, I always say to people, the reason I have here on this referral form from your physician is whatever the reason is. Does that resonate with you? Does that make sense with, with you related to what's going on in your life? And it may or may not. And if it is about weight management, that's another whole road to go down. And maybe we could talk about that some other day, because that's not why we're here today. Not maybe. We will talk about that some other day. But really to get a, that person's perspective, it's the beginning of the create. Well, you start creating the relationship before the person even gets in the door or logs on to Zoom or whatever. You know, but it helps to build that of, as you just said, open the door to create this space for sharing. And I don't know why I said open the door, but to create space for sharing and open it up to dismantle that whole idea that I am the expert and you are going to listen to me no matter what, you know, like to dismantle that. Does that sound something no, along the lines of what you do? Definitely. It's what I'm hoping to achieve uh -huh. so that people feel that they've been listened to and uh -huh. that I'm not the expert that my agenda or whatever I think, cause I mean, again, when you get a referral form, it'll tell me the reason why whoever set the referral form thinks the person should be coming to see me. Yeah. And it could be a completely, totally different reason why the person came. And, and usually is. And usually is. Yeah. Right? I have found a lot of time, uh, I would say the vast majority of time, and let me be clear, I've, I, I currently work as a professor. Before that, I did, uh, I worked about 20 to 20 and a few years in cancer care. And so I have lots of experiences of talking about people who are really frightened, really afraid of what's going on with their health and their their life in life threatening illness. And I would say that person showing up for that appointment, whether they wanted it to come or not, has a lot to do with this sense of fear on so many levels, fear that they're going to get into trouble with their physician, fear of of uh, their life, you know, is this actually going to help me live a longer life? Uh, and reckoning with the fact that we are mortal and that our lives, all of our lives will end one day. And that's scary for a lot of people, you know, and, and so that whole notion of fear. And uh, I don't think that comes up a whole lot in dietetics training that people are fearful. And that's why they want to talk to a dietitian. Oh, exactly. I mean, you think about for people, well, we, we said it, if things are going well, people aren't looking to make changes, right? Yep. It's because we're we're worried about something. And if we you love healthcare now, we we put in prevention. Uh-huh. You're gonna go see a dietitian because we're gonna talk about preventing heart disease, preventing but there's that fear. There's that underlying fear nugget that are get, that's given to people that you need to see the dietitian so that you don't get this. Oh boy. As if it's not straightforward. You know, and fear nugget. I love the fear nugget idea. I can just see it sitting there all shiny and. <laughs> you know? when you think about it, people hold it when they come into our office, yeah, right? They or totally, when we see them they soon. They totally do, Carol. 
Yeah. So, Kate, so let's just backtrack and say, why are, has a person shown up in my office? You know, they're not going to be, I mean, let's be polite about this. You can't go and say, why are you here? Like, you know, we're not grumpy, horrible people. It's really trying to uncover what's their truth, if I could put it that way, and understand and know that everybody's holding a fear nugget, which we've never said these words. I never said those words until today, but I really like it. They're holding it and they don't want to show us. And we're, I love this metaphor. I love it. Building the trust so that they will share their fear nugget with us. Well, yeah, and not feel that we're going to judge them. Yeah. I think that's one of the pieces as dietitians. Oh, we that. get a very bad rap of being very judgmental. Yeah. Of being, you know, oh, if I, you know, and tell the dietitian what I'm really eating, yeah, they're going to think less of me. They're yeah. going to be, well, what's wrong with you? Why don't you just, but that's not us. Oh, dear. That is not us as, as, as a profession, I unfortunately. No, me too. <laughs> I mean, I, I have told you the story of a student had done a, a project on people with eating disorders, their experiences consulting with dietitians. And one person's story was that whomever she consulted said, it doesn't matter what you do, you'll never look as good as I do, which is just horrific. <laughs> These are words that should never be spoken by a dietitian. Never. Never. Uh, so you're absolutely right. This fear of judgment. I mean, that affects a lot of people a lot of the time. And especially when you've put yourself in this pretty scary, pretty vulnerable position of being in a stranger's office, and you're holding your fear nugget, and they maybe don't even want to recognize that you're holding a fear nugget. And so you just keep that nicely hidden. A person, I'm saying you, I don't mean you, Carol, a person just keeps that nicely hidden. And if they get handed a handout about whatever the dietary, the dietary changes that would be recommended for someone in their situation, you know, that becomes birdcage liner. It's not useful. It's, it's, uh, she raises her voice in a squeaky fashion. Um, it's not useful, because you're not getting at what's the person really doing there. And I don't think back to our original topic here, we can't get to building that, establishing that connection and that, that relationship with people without demonstrating that we are emotional beings as well. We do care about them. We talked about last episode about love and about bringing love into your work as a dietitian. That's, I think, how it cannot be. It's untenable to think about practicing as a dietitian in an emotionless manner. And I absolutely agree with you. The work of many, most, all dietitians is, I won't say all, most, is really emotionally heavy. And recognizing that for ourselves and recognizing that it's okay to feel emotionally drained. It's absolutely more than okay to figure out what it is that you need. It's an essential, I would say, to figure out what you need in order to get back onto a emotional plane where you can go back to work the next day, Definitely. whatever that takes, right? I mean, somebody was mentioning that on something I was in last week about, about who are the people who recharge your batteries and arrange to connect with them. Carol happens to be one of those people who recharges <laughs> me, which is very cool. Um, it's probably why we decided to talk to each other once a week, Carol, <laughs> all that time, <laughs> um, you know, and, 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 and figure out how you can maintain some distance from the people who drain you 
drain your batteries, right? But find your rechargers and, and connect with them. I like that idea a lot. Yeah. No, being able to reconnect, being able to be your authentic self in a session. I, I think about somebody comes in to talk to me and I'm asking them to be very vulnerable because I want them to show me this little fear nugget. Yeah. And at, at the whole point, at some point, in order to make those connections, I need to show a bit of vulnerability too. Yeah. And I think being able to sit with somebody in that role of not knowing, of compassionate curiosity. Oh, I like that. It, it gives people that permission. And then I think, you know, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, not just not showing emotion when I'm sitting with somebody, but I was thinking about self-disclosure oh, and yes. being told as a dietitian, no, you shouldn't tell them anything about yourself. You are the professional. They are coming to see you. You don't, you don't tell them anything about themselves. And I think how damaging that can actually be and how difficult it can be to perform a, to form a relationship with somebody. Yeah. So one of the things that I really love is the therapeutic use of self. Uh-huh. Recognizing that every now and then you'll make a little bit of a self-disclosure when it is appropriate for that building of that relationship or developing an alliance. Hmm. And I was thinking just yesterday had a had a young mom. Actually it was a couple that were that were in my office. I could just see in her the the concern of what I was thinking about her as a young mom who wasn't really feeding herself, you know, and this judgment of she's going to think I'm a bad mom. And just being able to say to her, it's like, I remember when, when my kids were really young and how difficult it was to find time for myself to take care of me and to, and to eat myself. And immediately I could just see the look on her go like, wow. Mm. Okay. Mm. Yeah, you're right. I'm really having difficult. And she could then tell me her story. Mm but why she wasn't able to get food in for herself. Yeah. So therapeutic use of self, that's one concept. And then you're not divulging all the nitty gritty details of your life. But yeah, like I've been a mom, a young mom of young kids before. And I, I totally, I'm there with you. I get it. Right. And look at me, I'm a successful functional adult, sort of. (laughs) (laughs) And I got through it all. Yeah. I mean, I use the example all the time as I live with celiac disease. And so when I've had to talk to people about removing gluten from their diets or any other component that causes their gut to go crazy to say that, yeah, I I, uh, avoid gluten religiously because I know what that feels like to be gluten poisoned and so then people go oh you know what this is about okay cool not that we all have to only work with the people who share our illnesses or or disorders but to share that or or other people have told me that blah 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 and I I refer to that as a coping strategy well I didn't make this up it's it's very well documented social comparison so comparing oneself to what other people have experienced. So you did that yesterday for that young mom. And I have done that with people living with celiac disease, but I did it every day all the time with people living with cancer. I've never had cancer. I don't know what that's like. I've never experienced it myself, but I sure have worked with hundreds, if not thousands of people who were going through that treatment situation, phenomena, treatment, so let's just call it treatment, who, who shared with me what it was like and it's tough and so I used to always say to people let's try to work together to make eating less awful and they and you know and that acknowledges it is awful it's not the fun enjoyable eating I used to engage in it's pretty gross and I don't like it of course it's pretty gross and you don't like it so there's a really easy kind of situation to imagine your uh, oneself in as a dietitian of 
how do you how do you connect with a person in a way you're emotionally connected with them because they're bearing their soul about what it's like and and honoring how they're feeling without becoming their best pal because you're not their best pal and you never will be their best pal that's not our job and I listen to that I I don't think anybody would have got into this profession if they didn't care about people so how can you not sit with somebody and hear their story or their situation and not feel it right and not and not not give a response back to them yeah whether it's just that nodding of the head or that reassuring little smile that I get what you're telling me yeah that's really difficult yeah and I'm wondering about giving giving them that support yeah I really appreciate what you said there Carol and I and I think we could talk about that in a future podcast about people's uh how how people develop routines about eating rituals about eating shared responsibility I don't mean shared responsibility I mean somebody in a household has responsibility the primary responsibility for ensuring that everybody else gets fed and then there are people who just show up and meals are there I don't happen to be one of those people and I don't think you are either you're shaking your head and saying no those are really important things to think about too what is a person's role within the household and then when a person is ill and it doesn't have to be illness it could be could be anything really it could be anxiety related depression related recovering from an accident related it could be anything anything where life has taken a turn and and then recognizing that that's often what people want to talk about but they don't know it and so they've gravitated to a nutrient and so the skill that we you and I've talked about the art of dietetics which doesn't say anything to me it doesn't mean anything to me but the skill involved in trying to figure out what's the fear nugget and trying to make that comfortable for people to want to tell you about it oh definitely because we do know that people will share with us where they're comfortable Hmm. where it may not be what is truly at the root of why they actually are sitting with us Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the key pieces that I always think about too is one of my professors, Mark, we always speak about is like, how do you get the person to come back and talk to you again? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. how do you set up so that they've got that comfort knowing that, yeah, this person actually heard me and it's safe for me to come back. And maybe, maybe I don't, didn't disclose or share everything that is going on at this point, you know, around my eating that's concerning to me, but I'm okay to come back and talk to them again. Yep. So that I can then get some assistance or whatever it is that I need with what's truly lying at the root of my eating or my nutrition struggle. Absolutely. And and I think also, Carol, it's important for our listeners to recognize that some times people do not talk. They, they There is a lot of silence. And for us to grow that comfort ourselves in letting there be silence, like letting that just sit there. I'm not sure if it was you who described it or not, you know, that people coming to see them not being able like not talking but crying and being teary in the office for for a long while like half an hour or so and then that person like that how comforting is that for a person to know I'm safe to be in here that crying doesn't mean they're not communicating they're telling us volumes about what's going on with them right and then them feeling comfortable to come back and say okay now I can actually talk about what's going on we don't have to it's not like a I'm thinking about it's like nutrition counseling as a cut and dry kind of rational logical model of you have a problem come in 
and I'm using my sergeant major voice right now. You have a problem, come in. I will tell you what to do about it. And of course, I am always right, and you will do it. And you have talked about seeing oneself as a helper rather than a dictator, I suppose. I You didn't say dictator, I'm saying that. But seeing oneself as a helper. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to be there to help a person, because I'm just trying to think, you had said something, and it, and it just sort of triggers something in my mind around use of silence. Mm. It's being, oh, the tears, when you're talking about that idea, yeah, there's a misconception out there for a lot of people that food doesn't have emotion attached to it. <laughs> there is so much emotion attached to food it's... and eating. <laughs> 100%. And I was thinking, I don't remember, like, people come into my office and they'll start talking to me and they'll get teary. And then they're like, I'm so sorry, I don't mean to cry. It's like, no, this means that this is really important to you. Absolutely. And I want to hear it. Absolutely. And what a privilege that is to be in a position where people feel that vulnerable and it's safe for them. I think that's... Exactly. Um... They didn't tell me that in school, just so you know. <laughs> no, no, that didn't come up when I went to school either. And Carol, here's the thing that concerns me. I do talk about this in my in my work with students. And often I'll have students tell me that's just the fluffy stuff I don't need to worry about. And I get really concerned about that. Because as we've just talked about now for 42 minutes, this is the nature of nutrition counseling work is to relate to another human on a human to human level acknowledging their emotion and their confusion and seeing oneself as a helper, but not being prescriptive about that. So is that a good place for us to wrap up for today? I think so. That was, that was pretty heavy. That was really <laughs> heavy. Yeah. Not prescriptive. And we yeah. come from a culture of, well, I know you and I could talk about this for another hour, but we will not. Uh, but coming from a culture in our training that that's as easy as it gets, it's pretty straightforward and simple. Maybe we could talk next time about diet sheets and how not appropriate they are many times or how they, not so much that, but they minimize the... What dietitians can actually offer yeah. to people. Yeah. I think yeah. there's that misconception. Like you said, yeah, we, you and I could talk about that for hours. <laughs> but really, we, it, it really pigeonholes us and sells us short yeah. if people think that all they can do is come in and talk to a dietitian to get information about a food or about a nutrient. Yeah. And that's not who we are as a profession. And I've told you before, and I'll tell you again, and I'll share this with everybody else. Long before there was a thing called the internet, I gave a talk called, What's the Difference Between Me and a Brochure Rack? And I think the internet, I think about it related to food and nutrition, is one monster, giant, ever-growing brochure rack. And there is a reason that people want to talk to a human dietitian and not a brochure rack, right? Or the internet. I'm just going to look some stuff up. It's the desire to have a person. I love the fear nugget idea. I think that's what we'll entitle this episode of I have a fear nugget. I've looked at the brochure rack. Nothing is addressing what I'm really feeling. And I need to talk to a person about this, right? It's the same as investments. You could do your own investing and so on on the internet but what I really want because I know nothing about that at all is to entrust advice giving to a person that that's what they do every day all day they love thinking about that and I would rather not thank you I just want to know that my hard earned earnings are safe and um and so on right so I could look it all up but I don't because it's 
just a whole other world that's big and confusing, and I don't want to, actually. Boy, is eating ever different, because we cannot survive without eating. And so, gosh, our work is tough. And I guess maybe that's a place to end, is for all of our listeners, gosh, our work is tough. And we do it because of love. We do it because we honor and value other humans. And if people are back to what we talked about podcast one, if, if uh, some of our listeners are feeling as a dietitian, I don't think I'm cut out for this game. I don't No, It's not a game. I don't think I'm cut out for this work. Maybe it's not that you're not cut out. It's that the work needs to evolve or, 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 or let's work somehow together, all of us, to evolve the nature of the work so that we are the kind of helpers that people are looking for if that's what they want they maybe don't even want help they want a listening ear okay carol have a lovely rest of the day in thunder bay ontario same to you kathy and we'll chat with you later okay bye bye bye